Hello and welcome to the Diminishing Returns podcast. This week we have the return of our very special guest, Judy Bignall. Hello there. Hello. Uh, I am Alan Turing, as always, and this is Sol Harris. Uh, Hello. Now, Judy, I introduced you first there because you're responsible for this week's episode. Oh, no pressure. Thank you. Um, would you like to tell the, the good people listening uh, what film you chose to do for oh, our ooh, show? Oh, hang on. <laughs> oh, that's not how this worked, was it? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I chose it, but I chose it on your behalf. So oh, <laughs> you that's true. I have, I chose I have it for been your pestering you for about two and a half years to do this particular uh, film series. Go on. Why? It, but, oh, Is oh. it because you hate Ted Danson and you want to slack him off? Because he did something no, to you. No, not at all. No, quite the opposite. Is it because you ha- hate good films and only watch shit films from <laughs> No. Is it because... Well, you keep inviting me on to talk about him. It's your <laughs> eggs on your face, my friend. Is it because no. <laughs> you felt bad about being so mean about uh, cinematic masterpiece The Iron Giant and you thought, I'd better give Sol a chance to just like berate me no, for my taste for two hours? No, chance. Okay. No. Yeah. No. You have chosen, and you have chosen to invite me, to talk about the two films, Three Men and a Baby, and Three Men and a Little Lady. Oh, it's a little lady. Now, yeah. I know you've watched these films on repeat most days. Ah, uh, well, um, that's <laughs> that's unfair, and yet also in the right ballpark. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yes. So I'm assuming this is a sort of uh, th- something you saw as a child, maybe? Is there some sort of nostalgia element here? I'm assuming you like spent a stretch in a hospital and this was the yeah. only VHS tape. like the only. I'm video- assuming you had some sort of head injury? The only form of entertainment and you just had to watch it on a loop for six <laughs> months and when you, when you were done, you, like even though you know it's awful, you just couldn't help but kind of have a nostalgia for it. See, what we learn from this, boys and girls, is that men assume too much. Oh, sexist. <laughs> well, you are. You're both going, I assume. I assume it's to do with and this. We just, we just <laughs> happen to be men. So. Just like Tom Selleck when he assumed that the baby was the package. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> the, folly, uh, so... the folly of man. No, so to give you a little bit of a, a background, um, I actually watched the second film first. Me too. And it was introduced to me when I was about maybe nine or ten by my stepmom, actually. It was one of hers. She It was on VHS. Well done. Um, so they, they're quite a fan, that side of the family, are quite a fan of twee films. So this is also the same woman who introduced me to Sound of Music, which I saw for the first time with uh, my stepmom and my dad. But Three Men and a Little Lady, I just... I don't know, I really loved it. And I maybe it was because I was a young kid and I had a relationship with my dad away from my relationship with my mum. And so it felt kind of, I don't know, maybe I resonated with that. Was your mum a terrible, terrible actor with an annoying accent as well? No. Okay. <laughs> my mum was not Nancy Travis, although I love Nancy Travis in this film. She's brilliant. Um, so, yeah, I saw that one. And I didn't see Three Men and a Baby until probably about... F- Five years after that. Too scary, um, isn't it? That ghost. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so I kind of did it all backwards, but it worked quite well for me. I don't really feel like you need to have seen the first one to understand the second one. There's a few references, but otherwise it just it works as a standalone film. So- That's interesting because I watched the first one and I was like, I'm sure I've seen this before. I don't really remember anything <laughs> about it. 
then when I watched the second one, it was like, I know this film inside out. Like, I really, this seems really familiar. So I think I'm the same. I think Three Men and a Little Lady is the one that's resonated down the years more. I'm curious as to why that might be. Because it's got Um, a kid in it. It's also, not to give too much away, it's the far superior film of the two. Wait, which one? Uh, The second one. Okay. Fuck off. What is that? Wait, what? Who just flushed a toilet? (laughs) I first came to this franchise via Three Men and a Little Lady, which Mm, I suppose... they're all the same. Yeah, which which does suggest that it's the popular uh, choice. I, I reckon, honestly... Just to throw it out there, I think it's probably something that we, being our age, came to first because it's the more sanitised one. The first one has some degree of bite. There's a a, a, a mm. drug subplot. Yeah. There's there's a bit yeah, more swearing. Not... There's more sexual innuendo. The second one is like, oh, there's a kid in it, and it's way more family friendly. Yeah. Well, she because she's a baby, it's like she's just kind of a bit of a prop. Yeah, exactly. Although obviously the story revolves around her, I guess. But yeah, yeah. she's a bit of a prop in the adult, complicated yeah. life and changing. And I, I, I say I saw the second one first. I saw a scene or fifteen minutes of it. Oh, which um, bit? basically there were these really annoying neighbors where we used to live. Like really fucking weird. Proper like won't let her kids watch The Simpsons. Kind of parent you know, uh, mm. spend too much time in the library kind of parent. And <laughs> and uh, I think we'd been invited over for dinner or something, and then my mum basically couldn't be asked. She was like, oh, for God's sake. And, and she sent me over to, like, on her behalf, kind of say, oh, my mum's feeling ill, so we can't come over for dinner. Sorry. Then when I got there, the mum and the, her kids were like, Oh, well, you're okay, aren't you? Come on in, come on in. And I was like, oh, God, no, honestly. And they were like, no, come on in. And they basically forced me through awkwardness, <laughs> like through sheer embarrassment and not wanting to just be like a dick and leave. They forced me to watch 15 minutes of this dreadful film they were in the middle of on the TV. And I sat down and it was this little girl going, penis. And then <laughs> that and then, bit, that was the bit you walked in on. And every time, every time they said penis in the film, the kids would like laugh maniacally, and the mum would go <laughs> over the top of it, like censoring it because how you know, God forbid, her kids hear the word penis used in a non-sexual context. It really pissed me off. It was like you know, I was I was probably I don't know eight, nine, ten, and I was just like, "You fucking kidding? It's it's penis. Grow up for fuck's sake!" And uh, <laughs> I I just kind of said like, "Sorry guys, I've got to go," and went after about ten minutes. My mother's bleeding to death. That that viewing experience, I was surprised. Pretty much set the tone for like these these films and what I think of them. <laughs> I, I I have never seen these films properly before. I'd certainly never seen Three Men and a Baby. So I, I went into this with an open mind. I, you know, I was fairly excited. It's got Ted Danson, yeah? Or at least it says Ted Danson's in it in the credits. <laughs> it's got Leonard Nimoy directing. That's, that'd be interesting, it's famous I guess. for his directing ability, yeah. Well, you know, he made probably my favourite Star Trek movie. Good at getting performances, if nothing else. Uh, mm. You've got Tom Selleck, who obviously is also well-known for his movies. And then, <laughs> you know, we'll... we'll <laughs> I think he's being sarcastic. And, uh, you know, they they obviously couldn't get Greg Kinnear or some other <laughs> incredibly bland, white, boring uh, comedy leading man, so they went with Steve Gutenberg. 
It was 1987, though. Yeah, we'll let that one slide. We'll let that one slide. Steve Gutenberg, whatever. I'm I'm going to introduce the hashtag Leave Steve Alone. Do you want to do you want to play a little quiz? It's called yes. Name anything that Tom Selleck or Steve Gutenberg have been in. Short circuit. Friends. Boom. <laughs> Friends. Magnum, Magnum PI. <laughs> Police Academy. Yeah. This is going to be our most listened to episodes because I'm going to put friends in the uh, in the <laughs> metadata in the in the hashtags and what have you. Steve Gutenberg, right? Mm. What's he been doing for the last thirty years? Not a lot. Well, after Three Men and a Little Lady, he didn't work for five years. Do you think that's a, a sign of the quality of the film? Or, <laughs> or is that I think he's meant to be personal? a bit more of a bland character. He's a bland. He's the bland character, yeah. But that doesn't mean why is his career as a whole just seem to stop. Yeah, Jason Bateman's still going strong. He didn't. He's done. He's done more. No, he hasn't. Like what? What has he done since 1990? Name one thing he's done. Uh, P.S. Your cat is dead. The stranger. Rocket power. Single Santa seeks Mrs. Claus. Name a Dominic real one. film. You can't I'm, just I'm make on Judy. Judy, you can't just make films up. Name a real I'm not, film. I'm on IMDb, but the point is he's done a fair amount. Not like loads of really good stuff but he's he's had work all of this boils down to yes you guys clearly don't sound like you're going to like this film and these not even for the nostalgia i I mean it's not like i watched them as a kid and then went away and forgot about them then was like oh yeah god they they bring back memories i've watched it consistently since i first watched it and i've seen them probably both over 10 times i wanted to rewatch them for this recording i'm not gonna lie i didn't have time it's fine i pretty much know the script so, uh, I made a you note. surely can't knock the opening credits and that song. Oh God, yes you can. No, it's such eighties <laughs> goodness. No, I made a note saying this. This montage is doing nothing to endear me to this film. Uh, that wasn't my first <laughs> note. But back in back in the time, back in eighty seven. Yeah, that's look, that that's fine. But it's a sped up montage of nothing remotely interesting happening. It's it's just like it's like when people open a film and they don't know what they they've never like done anything before, so they think it's totally acceptable to open the film with your character getting out of bed and brushing their teeth and like making <laughs> a cup of tea, and it's no, not got any no, bearing on anything. No, more exposition than that. So isn't the song that it's called Bad Bad Boys. Bad Boys? Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, it's awful. I like that song because they're all boys, um, you see. But they're not bad boys, so they're very good boys, really. You see Tom Selleck like jogging down the road, and he sees a pretty girl, and he turns around and runs back, and you see them being bachelors, and it sets up their lifestyle as three bachelors living together. Yeah. And then by the end of the song, you've got the context. Like, how well, is that not working look, as a device? Look, my first note is the baby's going to get painted onto that mural. In the second, <laughs> in the second film. Nope, nope. At the nope, end of this the end film. Oh. And that's yeah. that was my first note. But what's wrong with that? It's you know what's going to happen. Like you, you know what's going to happen in this film. That doesn't make it a bad film. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. I shouldn't be able to call <laughs> that a... level of detail with such outright clarity within thirty seconds of the you, film starts. You analyze films. Why shouldn't you be able to pick up that? Because a film, especially comedy, comedy is surprise. Stuff is funny because it it subverts your expectations and catches you off guard. And this film is apparent. Apparently, this film is a comedy. So, the the film is called Three Men and a Baby. I mean, how the hell are you meant to have kept that a surprise? Like that that was obviously going to happen. It's in the title. The story, the journey they go on, is the surprise. As I said before, I mean, I was surprised that it actually ended up being two men and a baby. And a cameo and a from t- Ted Danson. <laughs> um, so. But the point is, you know that it's going to be three guys. You know that there's going to be 
a baby. And so at the end, it's not surprising to think, oh, the guys will have come to love the baby. Yeah, but... Should we do a brief plot ex- um, explanation, by the way? And by that, I mean you. Yeah, go on then. Someone. Go on, Alan. Take it away. So there's got three bachelors. They live in an impossibly large apartment in They're bad. Uh, New York. No, it's not impossibly. You've got the joint income of an architect, a successful cartoonist, and a professional actor. Like not not like a you actor, like an actual getting work actor. Oh, he doesn't. He doesn't really get work. <laughs> it's an impossibly large apartment. Uh, yeah, they're all bachelors. They they like the ladies. They're, they're bad bad boys gay. because so they all live they, together because they want to try and sleep with women in a kind mm-hmm. of like. Ooh, no strings attached kind of way but how you uh, doing but, but steve gutenberg he's too much of an inherently yeah 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 so he's he like ends up f- helping these people fix their relationships and stuff but he's still apparently a bad bad boy so ted danson is the uh the actor who who s- sleeps with like loads of ladies and uh lives in his friend's apartment uh, without paying as much rent as he should Tom Tom Selleck is an architect, so he must be the one with all the money because he's paying for everything. Um, and so yeah, they they live the bachelor lifestyle. Then one day, oh, knock on the door, and there's a baby. No, before that, before that, before that, there's a party, and Ted Danson's like director mate, producer mate, whoever it is, is like, oh, can you do me a favor? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, look. I'm I'm out of the country next week, but I need to have a package delivered. Is it right if it gets delivered here, and then some people are going to come and pick it up? And Ted Danson's like, yeah, 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 no problem. All right, then Alan, what happens? Oh yeah, then then Ted Danson goes to Turkey to film to do a film something. Film. Yeah, and he and he tells the other two guys. He says to the other two guys, "There's going to be a package at some point, so just look out for that. Uh, just put it on the side. Don't worry about it." Then carry on, Alan. <laughs> Uh, okay, um, so uh, they basically go to the door one day. There's a baby there. There's a note on it saying, "Hello, I'm Ted Danson's child. <laughs> Look after me, please, because my mother's <laughs> abandoned me." And then the other two, because Ted Danson's not there, the other two like have to panic and look after it. There's a whole drug dealer subplot that kind of doesn't really go anywhere. And then, what do you mean it doesn't go anywhere? It gets all tied up. Yeah, it gets all tied up. At, at, an hour in. Well, yeah, but like without that, there wouldn't be any plot at all. So at least they tried. <laughs> that's fair. That's true. Um, and then Ted Danson comes back, and, the, and he's like, "What, baby?" And then they like have to look after a baby with only three people to do it. But they come round to making it part of their permanent life because the idea is that they think that with the package confusion, they think that the baby's going to be collected, and then they realise that the baby's not. So they really adapt their lives and they start making it work and start actually enjoying themselves because they get the hang of it. And then, twist at the end, the mum turns up and's like, thanks for keeping my baby warm, I'm ready to take it home. Yeah, and just like Madeline McCann's parents, everyone's like, oh, oh, it's so good that you've turned up. Not like, oh, throw him in jail, negligent parent. I okay. feel there's a But the point is, there's then, there's then the, the twist at the end is kind of like, oh, you know, will he let her go? And it's not it's not about a girl, it's about like the baby. Will he let her go? Do you know what my fourth note is? Why? Uh, it is, I'm not sad that Leonard Nimoy's dead anymore. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's charming. And that was, that was like, what, 20 minutes into the film that I'll have written that down? Why? Do, I mean, apart, um, you've said it's very 80s, you've said it's quite predictable, but I don't really get why you... You sound like you really strongly hate this film, and I'm not sure why it warrants that strength of feeling. Well, I'll, I'll tell you why the film's crap. 
Um, and frankly, I blame the director for it because the, the main problem here is that these three characters that we're following have no personalities and they're really not distinct from each other. They're, there's Ooh. not enough going on to, to make them interesting or compelling in any way or in fact to really believe anything that they're doing, that they care about this child, that they care about anything. It's all just so basic functionary stuff. I just never cared about anything in this film. Never once cared about anything. And yeah, I agree. It's, the structure is quite poor. It doesn't really Well, there isn't really a well. story, the whole, is there? Yeah, the drug deal subplot is kind of fills up a bit of gap, but then that kind of just stops. Very, very poor film. I like, well, yeah, I, I made a note that the film is aggressively nothing, which I think yeah. is similar to what you were just saying. Um, I, I have made a note about a um, a joke that I enjoyed. Well, enjoyed some bit strong. Mm-hmm. You know when Tom Selleck's trying to buy a toy for the baby, and he says, oh, give me the giraffe, and then this this guy who's manning the, the weird little car side's like, giraffe, that's a dinosaur! And he's like, dinosaur? Yeah, it's a dinosaur! And he gets like really angry about it. That's yeah. that's the first thing resembling humour in this film. Oh yeah, but so you've got a weird sense of humour. I know. Like, <laughs> yeah, but that's a bit. Like, you don't laugh at the funny stuff. You laugh at stuff. All like right, that, all right. Tell me, like... yeah, what funny stuff? Tell me some funny stuff in this film. Tell me one funny joke in this film. Well, I don't think it's. It's not really about jokes. Out. It's just they're the f- no. It's not pleasant that. It's characters. Just, okay, so I, I quite like. It's not like a laugh out loud ha moment, but I quite like, I think it's nicely set up when at the beginning, for example, at the party, um, there's a girl who asks Tom Selleck, like, oh, are you still seeing Rebecca? And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, she, we have an agreement. We see other people. And then the guy asks, like, hey, are you still seeing Rebecca? And he's like, yeah, exclusive. Yeah, four years or whatever. And I think that's, you know, that's a nice, not laugh out loud, but a nice humor that's well-timed, it's well-paced. That's saying of his character that he's a player, like, he'll, oh, yeah, I'll say one thing to her, but they'll say something else to him. And then that never comes to anything. He's just... But, a, okay, I'm not talking about it coming to anything. I mean, as a humour. As as a humour. As a humorous bit. Yeah. I think that's quite good. You know, it doesn't have to be slapstick. So that's the high point of the humour. Why do you think I'm after slapstick? If I'm, if I'm laughing at a guy saying it's a dinosaur, in what way is that slapstick? It's not. I'm just saying. I think that that giraffe I'm, dinosaur scene was improved, and and Leonard Nimoy was there. Oh, this is great stuff! Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying this. that's that slapstick. I just mean I think Sol, you you find that funny. Yeah, but hang on. Okay, here's a test. Sol, do you like Rick and Morty? Oh, it's a fantastic show. Yeah, there you go. So that's a, that's my point. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? That's your point. It's one of the most popular shows yeah, in the it world is, but right now. That's what now. I mean. Like, it's a specific type of humor that isn't necessarily yeah, in this funny, film. funny humor. <laughs> anyway, well, guys, are you a fan of Friends? Well, I love Friends. Friends is funny. Very Friends funny. is very funny. Again, look, see, I love loads of popular humor. But that's, but that's, it's not too dissimilar in that sense. You know, the kind of. Well, it is in that Friends has actual jokes in it, whereas this just kind of has like, I'm Ted Danson. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of high energy and oh, I'm a bit awkward. Oh well. Uh, hey, it's me, Tom Selleck. Uh, I'd like to buy some baby food. Well, you can't buy that baby food. Oh, I don't know anything about babies. Oh, I'll just buy all the baby food. Alan, Alan, are you editing this one? Put, put a, put a cricket in. Put a cricket in there. <laughs> well, I think that look, the, the the film is not good. Okay, like the, the if if these well, you don't think it's good. If these actors had decided the day before filming to swap roles, swap characters, 
it would not have made any difference whatsoever. I mean, I'm 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 pretty sure Steve Gutenberg's the result of someone dropping out the day before, anyway, isn't he? <laughs> he was very popular in 1987. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> just deal with that. Hashtag uh, leave Steve alone. Thank you. <laughs> well, I I found it very boring. I I my first note is I'm 15 minutes in. The baby's only just turned up. I'm very bored. Um. My next note was, if this baby doesn't stop crying, I'm going to turn this film off. That so, was the point. I know it was, but it it, it worked too Did well. Did you I turn the film turn off? off. <laughs> I muted it until it stopped. You know what Steve Gutenberg is, right? He's a poor man's Dan Aykroyd. And that is the most <laughs> scathing thing I could possibly say about another human being. Um, I, I got another note that Oh, we, uh, when they they come round, the drug dealers come round and ransack the house, and uh, Tom Selleck comes home. He realizes what's going on, and I made a note. I was like, "Oh, we're fifty minutes in, and they they kidnap the baby. This plot's finally going to get started." And then they didn't kidnap the baby. The baby's still there, so that didn't go anywhere. <sighs> I thought we're actually going to get some the plot baby's been kidnapped, So there's a twist. Oh yeah, great! <laughs> Thirty seconds of suspense instead of a, the next hour worth of plot where they have to go and get the baby back. Those those mobsters as well. What kind of a film is this that they couldn't even get Joe Mantegna? It's, it's come on. No, they didn't want to make him too Italian. They should have put Joe Pesci in as one of the mobsters. <laughs> no, because the problem with that is everyone would keep confusing him with the baby. <laughs> what about the fact that the message of this film is that unless you've got a, a child, then you're a fucking useless twat, and when you have no, got a child, it'll sort your life out is. completely. No, that's not saying it will sort your life out. It's about learning to love. If it means you have to recklessly abandon your child, like just because you need to work some shit out, then that's fine. So, Do it. Just sh- I've been I've been dreaming about Alan quoting this film to me for four years. Come on, <laughs> Alan, hit it on me. Come on. Okay, so Ted Danson tries to pawn the kid off onto his mother, uh, yeah. and says he says to his mom, "Look, I'm a screw up. I can't look after a kid." And she says, and I quote, "You were a screw up. Now you're a father. now you're a father. Because yeah. if you're a father, you can't be a screw up." No, she's right? trying to say now you've you got guys something. Both can attest you've to got that, someone you? else. Oh, <laughs> look to give the film credit right, to, to play devil's advocate. <laughs> I think perhaps what they're trying to say, although it's poorly worded, there uh, is: look, you are a screw up, but now you have to just fucking pull your shit together. That's and exactly what I was about to become, say. You've got someone else to look you, after now. Yeah, like yeah. You, you're responsible for someone else, so that's it. You have to worry about their well-being now. And it's yeah. worded in a like, way. close one isn't... door. Now yeah. your future is you're going to be a father. There's some very crap uh, plot elements here uh, that don't make any... I mean, it just feels like yeah, no one's read the script it's, or it's... tried to make any sense of it. They know they're being um, tailed by the police. So they have to get away out of the house without being seen. So Ted Danson like gets up in disguise as a woman and sneaks out. And then the other two just run out of the away from the police really fast so they can't get him. <laughs> it's just, what's the point of any of this? Because he's an actor and it's meant to be a comedy bit. Come but on, I thought they were going to distract. You I thought like they were going to be the distraction while sake, Ted Danson goes and sorts the situation out. And why does he go to such trouble of hiding the drugs in a nappy, like with a fucking scalpel and stuff, when because he could have just like, shoved them behind in... the bookcase? Because no one's going to... The poli- they think no... the police is searching. Yeah, baby's nappy is the last place you're going to look, Alan. It's full of exactly. shit. Exactly. It's full of shit. But no... No one would put their cocaine in a nappy in their right mind, because then what if the baby shit? Shits on it. You don't want to be snorting shit. It's heroin, actually. Don't no, snort it. But the, you're right, the police. You're right, you're right. It's like okay, it's something that isn't necessarily realistic. But we're talking about a, a feel-good comedy. This film made you feel good. Yes. 
Why the fuck do you think I've watched it more than ten times? I don't know, you could be a nihilist. It make me feel good. Feel good fun. Abandoning in a child, is that fun? <laughs> what? <laughs> Jesus, that, as if that's the only point that comes from this film. The point is not child's abandonment, the point is child's integration into a new family. Well, through necessity, because they were abandoned, they had to be adopted, I, yeah. It doesn't, well, it's not to do with the abandonment. Yeah, I've only ever had one family, because I've never been abandoned. Maybe I can't relate to it. You are just pulling the punches today. <laughs> not pulling them at all, I'm landing them really hard. <laughs> Yeah, pushing See, them. you wonder why I don't come on this for a while and to give you space and let it be known it's because you're a dickhead. <laughs> Are you talking to me or Sol? You. Sol's an antagonizer. Look, I'm I'm normally nice. I just I had to watch three men and a baby followed by three men and a little lady, so I'm in a bad mood. I'm lashing out. It's a feel bad comedy of the year. <laughs> yeah. That, that that you know what, that's true. This film this film not so much this film, but the sequel, and having to watch them both in quick succession, like, literally put me in a bad mood. Genuinely, the second one made me angry. When they eventually, like, they managed to reveal the drug dealers, and the policeman turns up, and they're like, what the fuck's going on? And they're like, those guys are the drug dealers. And the policeman goes, oh, great, you can be on your way, I'll call you if I need you. I'm like, what? What's that? They, they, the police know that they're involved in some sort of drug dealing thing going on. Like, at the very but least, you would recorded. take him in and question them. Yeah, they hand him a tape and say, this will tell you all you need to know. They don't even say, this tape shows that we're innocent. And, and even if it the did... that it's a feel-good comedy and not a crime drama. This is why it's not playing realistically. <sighs> comedy, comedy has to come from a place of truth in order to be funny. Otherwise, it's just random shit. My point is that all these elements that don't make any sense and aren't very realistic really degrade the film because it, it it just shows a lack of care. This script feels like not just the first draft, but the first draft of like a high school writing assignment. <laughs> it, it It's the kind of like, oh shit, it's due in tomorrow. Oh, well, I know I I've got a vague idea of this might make a nice story. There's like some drug thing happens, but I, I don't know what happens with it. Oh, it's all sorted there. Oh, I still need to write 12 pages uh, uh. And then I mean I don't I don't think it has enough of a textured and layered plot as the second one I think the second one has a more oh, successful oh, plot oh, but Jesus hang on. Christ come on to that but uh. I think there's something quite nice about the simplicity of it being three guys having to go through this just that's just what it is that's what the film is about well you know this film is based on a French film yeah yes and have you seen it no. I have. Is it better? Okay. I bet it's much better. Was it French? I doubt it's it great, French. but I bet it's much better. <laughs> it was made in 1985. It's called uh, Trois Hommes et un uh, Couffin. Uh, three Men and a Cradle. That's a better um, name already. <clears throat> That's already better. <laughs> three Men and a Baby and sort of saw that it was a, a remake of this film. So I thought, oh, I'll see if I can find it. And I, I watched it. Uh, it was made in 1985, so a couple of years earlier. It was actually nominated for uh, the best foreign Oscar. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. So it was France's entry. So they were obviously very uh, Les Français ont tri de la and, Oscar. Qu'est-ce que la tue ont It is... I mean, it is basically exactly the same plot. It's all the, all the same beats are there. Okay. And it does sort of suffer from the same problem in the sense of that it doesn't, the, the whole okay. drug dealing thing kind of finishes halfway through and then 
the Ted Danson character comes Judy, back. Judy, Judy, can we play a game? Can we play a game? What do you think the three main characters character names are in the original French version? So just to remind everyone, the American version has three characters called Michael, Peter, and Jack. Uh, Jacques, Pierre, and... Yeah. Come on. Come on. Uh, I don't know. Oh, What's come Michael? on, you can get this. Michel. Get... Yes. Go on. It sounds a bit Spanish. Michelle. Michelle. Oh, yeah, because it's a girl's name. Ha, <laughs> girl. Okay. Yeah, the, the plot points are, are very similar, but it is handled a lot better. It's like the, the whole police element works. It makes sense. Um, the, girl, the girl who abandons the child doesn't... The teenager? No, but it, it makes a lot more sense. It, she doesn't just leave it there as an abandonment. She sort of says, like, oh, I have to go for this job. You need to look after it while I go. She still leaves it on the doorstep, so, you know, it's not that much better. But then when she comes back and takes it back, she takes the baby back and has it for, like, six months. And it really gives them time. They, they're like, at first they celebrate. They're like, yeah, we can go back to our bachelor lifestyles. And then over a few weeks, they realize that they're missing something in their life now that they've had it. And that's they, they miss this child. That's, that's meant to be in there, isn't it? Well, yeah, but in the American version, that happens over the course of about seven minutes seconds. of real yeah. time. Yeah, uh, but I mean, in terms of film time. No, hang on, no, it's seven minutes of supposedly a bit more montage, isn't it? It's not. But no, no, be... she she picks the baby up and leaves, and they're like, oh yeah, oh no, I'm sad. Let's run to the airport. Okay, yeah, so they act a bit sad, but they don't own up to it, and then it's meant to be that times pass, and then Jack's like, I feel this thing. And then he's like, I miss Mary. And then that is about, everyone's like, that is about as uh, well written as this film is. I feel mm. a thing. <laughs> In the French version, it's handled a lot better. You, you get this sense of, you see of them go back to slow their descent into kind of depression. And, and, and Je m'appelle unhappy. And then, and then the girl turns back up. <laughs> J'habite a house of sorrow. The, really the girl French, turns back yeah. up and says, "Oh, I can't, I can't handle it. I'm trying to do this kid on my own and have a job. I need, I need help." And they're like, "Well, we'll help you. We can be here anytime." And they, you know. so it, it feels a lot more natural rather than running to the airport because they suddenly decide they're all, they all need. This yeah, but they needed a dramatic chase scene because nothing no, dramatic happens no, since the drug yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, I've seen true. a version of this film where they didn't have that and it worked a lot better. So obviously yeah, but the American version felt that they... You can see it's in there as a dramatic device, right? That's why they put it in there. The The French version is considerably better, mm. even though it's almost exactly the same plot. The only gag that I could think of that's in the American version that isn't in the French version is when... Tom it's Tellett a dinosaur, reading... pal! It's a dinosaur! <laughs> yeah. That, that giraffe toy is in the French version, though. So the the only joke I could think of is when Tom Selleck is reading to the baby from, and he's reading like a report of a boxing oh, the basketball. match. Yeah, okay. So it's like quite an aggressive like thing. And I'm like, oh, what are you t- what are you talking to like that for? And he's like, it doesn't matter. It's just the tone. Doesn't of your matter voice. what I read her. It's yeah. the tone you use. Which was yeah. a nice little bit, and that's not in the French version. Everything else is like literally right up to them buying nappies that are too big and then it falls off and then she pees on the couch but the, what about the bit with the talcum powder then he's like you're gonna clean that up i just think that was steve gutenberg falling over i don't think that was deliberate what about the joke where they capture a real life ghost on camera do you mean the cardboard cutout of ted danson that everyone's like oh my god about <laughs> yes he does so that's the, I think that is probably the only reason that people know of this film is about that scene, which is ridiculous because it's very obviously a cardboard cutout of Ted Danson, and then there's a cardboard cutout at the beginning of the second one, and it's like, oh, makes complete sense. 
Well, yeah, they obviously put that cardboard cut out in because of all the rumours. Just to cover up the ghost in the first film, they were like, oh, we better put a cardboard cutout in the second one. So everyone, so we can say it was a, a cardboard cutout. Um, bear in mind that this was, you know, this rumour was going out when this was a like a VHS film that people were watching on a shitty little TV. Yeah, back in the days, that's how I saw it. Yeah, yeah. And that's why you were terrified when you watched it, because... I wasn't terrified. People were easier to scare back then. Nah, I was more scared of the other Ted Danson film, as Alan knows about, called Loch Ness. <laughs> <laughs> Little blast from the past there. That's not the one with Werner Herzog in it, is it? I don't know. Millions of people are believing that in these deep waters, some sort of a dinosaur is dwelling. It's good though, isn't it? Because, um... This film would have nothing going for it whatsoever if they hadn't just lucked on to catching a ghost haunt- haunting the, the film set like that. Oh, moving away from the ghost. It's like in The Wizard of Oz when they just happened to start rolling cameras as that munchkin committed suicide in the background. You what? In The Wizard well, of Oz don't. when they... <laughs> Is this a thing that I don't know about that's quite famous? Apparently, yeah. Alan, you've actually told him to, to, to jump. <laughs> this is new for you. I was Your voice you, said actually. distasteful. So the ghost, the ghost thing is a very boring story about a parent ghost in this film. It's not worth talking about. So, it's the most interesting thing about this film. It's not though. By a my oh, so what's Thank more you. interesting about this film, Alan? That's just it's not that's just not interesting. It's a it's, it's a well known urban legend. It's funny. There's jokes about it in comedy. It's one of those so famously not true urban legends. Unwarranted. Like, uh, it's, yeah. just, it's just pointless and boring. Did you know that there was this babysitter and she she was babysitting and uh, then so far so good. And then the and and the parents phoned up saying like, oh, what's going on? You're right. How are you doing? How are the kids getting on? And she's like, oh yeah, yeah. Put them to bed. Um, one thing, I had to put a, a blanket over that really scary clown statue you've got in the corner. It's just freaking oh, me out. Yeah, this is a freaking me story. out. Freaking me out because it, it's, it's too statue. realistic and like the way it looks like it's breathing and the way it looked like it was wanking off at one point when I was like just watching TV was like, oh man, it was freaking me out. So I put a blanket over it. So it's all right. And then they go, we don't have a clown statue. Get out of the house now. And they run outside. And they get in the car, and she's driving in the car, and then this like this guy starts trying to like run her off Alan, the road. Start talking. And and start she's like, talking. oh no! And she pulls up in the um in the petrol station, and then the guy <laughs> the guy in the car chasing runs over, and he's like about to attack her, and she's terrified. And then he like grabs, and there's like a cl- a clown in the back of the car, and he beats up the clown and goes, "I was trying to wave at you to tell you there's a clown in the back of your car." And that really happened. Talk about a story not going anywhere. Yeah, oh, oh look, I'm sorry. Wins. Real life isn't as well structured as the intricacies of three men and a baby. I'm sorry. That's not, Well, you should be sorry. It's a wonderful film. So how do you feel, you t- guys, about the representation of men and women in this film? Pretty all right. I think that, uh, g- genuinely, the film really upset me because it really, really, really should have ended. And I kind of thought they might do this. Um, with the mum turning up and, and, you know, saying, oh, I'm back, give me my baby back. And they go, well, no. No. We've, you've, we've bonded with her now. You can't just abandon your kid and then decide you want it back. That's not how it works. Like, you, 
like be a good parent or don't. And I and I thought they were going to tell her to fuck off and call the police and have her thrown in jail for reckless abandonment of her child. And and they don't, do they? Instead, they go live with us. We'll all be a big happy family. Fuck off. Never even met her before. The one thing you know about her is one. She shagged Ted Danson without any form of contraception and kept it. And two, she abandons kids on people's doorsteps. And, and like... she abandons the child. It's not like she goes to him and says, look, this is your kid. I'm sorry, I can't handle this. You need to handle it for a while. She leaves it on a doorstep with a note with no guarantee even... that anyone's even in. That's... Exactly, because he, he isn't in. He isn't in. Yeah. And she doesn't know anyone else is in. He's away for 10 weeks. If he didn't live with two other people, that baby would probably be dead now. But I don't think it portrays women particularly badly. I think the point is that her Sylvia's character is meant to be flawed. And then with men, yeah, it plays into them as a stereotype at the beginning. And then the point is... The entire film is built on mining a man as a parent. <laughs> A man raising no, a baby no, without no, no, a mother? No, no. That's not, hilarious! It's not, it's not designed to be laughable. It's designed to be kind of <laughs> a fish out of water. how many men does it take to raise a baby? Three! Three. This summer, in cinemas, three men and okay, a baby! I, I don't think you can make... I think if you were going to make this film now, you would do three women and a baby. And it'd be like, look, women are useless with babies too if they've never done it before. Yeah, probably, and it probably starred Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy. But Scarlett Johansson, I reckon, trying to prove her comedy chops. <laughs> but the point. And failing. I don't. Fifty-seven percent on Metacritic. The male women kind of representation was different in the eighties. That's you know, it is just what it is. And yeah, it wouldn't be handled the same way now, but I also don't think it's particularly offensive. I mean, you're right. Tom Selleck was a viable lead man in 1987, so that that's how the representation... And apparently 1990, I still think he's a bit of a stud in the other one. One reason why I ask that is because uh, Three Men in a Cradle, the French original film, was written mm. and directed uh, by a woman, um, okay. Colleen Saw. You sound so surprised, by a woman. Um, well... Yeah, having a female writer-director is unusual now, so it certainly was unusual in 1985. But the but the fact that it's such a male-centric film, as in all the characters are male, in the French version, like, the female characters are handled a lot better. Uh, they're given more time, more sympathetic, a little bit more um, reason. Whereas in the in the American version, they're barely even acknowledged. Apart from, uh, yeah, like you said, the, the, the girlfriend of Tom Selleck, I think she, she's Rebecca. pretty well handled, yeah. But the the fact that the the mother character is so badly handled in the, in the American film is. Um... But I think that's meant to be the point. It's meant to be it's meant to be the point that they're badly handled. No, it's it's because Spock directed it, and and like he can't do illogical characters. He doesn't understand <laughs> what the motivation that would make someone be so illogical. See what you've done there, Sol, is you've confused an actor with the character that he plays. Oh, uh, what? Yes. Yeah. Could they have at least? They could have at least like suggested she'd got postpartum depression or something. You know, I know, something that we can yeah. go. Okay, she was behaving irrationally. Now she's okay, so we can forgive that. Or if she, if they'd just done it in a different way, like like I say in the French film, she's still it's it's essentially the same, but the the motivation behind it seems less brutal. Um, and when she comes back, it's like she's asking for help, and it's or- it's just. Or, you know, if, if the film just seemed to be in agreement that this character's a piece of shit, 
But it's not. It's like you're meant to be on her side and like, oh, thank God the mum's come back. Oh, she had a hard time. Oh, well. If the film was like, look, this scumbag's turned up and want, like are trying to put their kid in more danger, they're probably going to put it to bed in the oven or something for all we know if this is how they think you raise a kid. Fucking hell, you can't trust someone like that with a kid. But it's just, there's nothing there. It's just like, she comes back and says, Laurie, I'm taking this baby. And it's not even like they have an argument about it and then they go, well, she's the mother, we have no rights, we can't do anything about it. It's like, well, one of them's the dad, so, I mean, legally speaking, he has rights. But it's it's just that they completely accept. It's like, well, you know, we have been looking after this child, but, well, she's a woman, so obviously she'll do a better job than we will. We have to let her, let her have it. But Tom Selleck's character does say, hang on a minute, guys, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this. And then, obviously, you think that he's going to... That's going to be the point, and then he also says, we'll build you a room. But it does get addressed, kind of. It starts to get addressed, I'm not comfortable with this. They don't just all take it laying down it starts to get mentioned uh there's one thing i want to say uh, you know when tom Selleck takes the baby to his uh like a site a building site where he's working yeah the little hard he puts hat. A little hard yeah. hat i just want to say that hard hat would do nothing to protect that child. i know it would do nothing <laughs> it would do nothing but that's not very it's irresponsible there. it would it would actually help because you know it, it covers up the um the soft spot the soft spot so if he just like if he just like dropped a a wrench on it, it might Wrecking survive. Ball. But yeah, if something significant fell from up high, it'd probably snap the baby's neck, probably like knock it out of Tom Selleck's hands. And he'd... Yeah, but okay, God, that is definitely there to be cute rather than anything else. There's no way that a baby would be allowed onto the worst parts of the construction site. Well, it's good they just have like a little joke hat for babies on the site, isn't it? Well, just in made, case he, someone brings their baby He ordered it, work. come on. He's got money to fling at this shit. <laughs> well, how long has he had it? One. When did he order it? He got it made for her. Okay, so shall we rate that? I mean, uh, this film is aggressively nothing, as I said. Mm-hmm. Nothing, two minutes of plot happen. There's no jokes. There's bits where like the performance is meant to be funny, but none of it's funny. Um, there's, there's two actors in it who are kind of vaguely likeable, but most of them are pretty shit and just bad. So I, I think I'm being incredibly generous when... Um, I, I give this 5 out of 10. Uh, largely because there's that ghost in it. And it's just like, it's a marvel to see a ghost. Because you just don't... How often do you get to see a real-life ghost? It just doesn't happen. It's like how they captured Tom Cruise breaking his ankle in the, on camera in Mission Impossible 7. You kind of watch it and you think, oh, that's cool. And then you see that ghost. So 5 out of 10. Yeah, I think that is generous. Um, I did not give it a 5. And the fact that I watched... Uh, the original French film, it was the same film, but done better. It just proved that it could be done better, basically. So I gave this a three out of 10. Uh, for the record, I gave uh, Trois Hommes et une Couffin seven out of 10. Well, I give this film a seven out of 10. And it's one of your favorite films ever. I, I could watch them so m- I I have watched them so many times and I continue to want to watch them so many times. I'm genuinely gutted I didn't have time to rewatch them before this episode of recording. Um, <laughs> Obviously the film did well enough that they decided to make a sequel. Three Men and a Little Lady. It was a few years later, 1990. The film that killed Steve Gutenberg's career, apparently. Um, judging by yeah, his Rightly CD. so, rightly so. 
<laughs> but you see, Saul seems to be very down on this film. I would say that this film is far better than the first one. Well, you're I wrong. Think Judy's on my side there <laughs> because I, I think it's it's just better. It's better structured as a plot. I, I will grant you, it's not a good original, interesting plot. But bear in mind, is... Judy likes three men and a baby, so having her <laughs> on your side is... isn't necessarily as a plot structure. It works. It hits all the sort of cliches and all that. The characters are much more well-defined. The whole thing's better directed. They're obviously getting better performances out of the actors. And that's why it's a far superior film. Even though it's still it's got pretty Fiona tight. Shaw in it and she fucking rocks in this well, film. I, I mm-hmm. don't think I would agree with any of what you've just said apart from it's got Fiona Shaw in it. Um, all right, how, this is a note, okay? This is the level we're working at in terms of humour. They say, he's a normal guy. And then he walks in. And he, and he good afternoon. And he's not. He doesn't look like he's a normal guy, does he? He's dressed like a vampire. Is that good? Is it? Is yeah. that funny? Yeah, I laughed. You laughed out out loud. It works. I watched this when as I was eight up or and nine. Punchline. Yes. I mean, that's that's as much as I want better than the first one. It doesn't work though, does it? Because they know he's an actor, and anyone in their right anyone in their right mind would see a guy come in as a not particularly scary vampire and go, oh, and he go, oh yeah, I'm, I'm in character as a vampire. The point is, he's been filming a TV commercial, and we know that TV commercials are crazy. And so do all adults. It's gimmicky. Especially educated people who are holding <laughs> meetings about fucking ownership of a child. Of course they're going to appreciate, oh yeah, he's an actor and he's he's in a commercial, that's good. It means he must have pretty stable income, because I mean, maybe, well not stable income, but like he must have a fair bit of money coming in if he's doing TV ads, that's pretty good. I think at best you would you would think, oh, he's turned up to uh, a, a meeting in full costume. That's a bit weird. Um, yeah, and then he says, "I had to come straight from work. I had a hell of a time catching a cab." Like it, it pays yeah. off. And and they would immediate and they would immediately go, "Fair enough. How funny. Haha. <laughs> nice to meet you." But instead, because this film isn't set in any semblance of reality, which it needs to be for the humor to work, it, it's just like, "Oh, it's a vampire." Oh. Well, no, she goes, oh my god. My next note is Nancy Travis is shite. So, I mean, <laughs> how much do you think they regretted the fact that they cast her for like that bit role in the first film? And now they were yeah, stuck obviously with not designed to be a role that was uh, going to be in the whole film. I don't think she's that bad. I've got nothing oh, particularly she is, against her. She is she's not good. She's fine. She talks about the kitten. She comes across as a she sap. That's what she's awful. meant to do. All right, next note, 45, I'll give you 45 minutes in and there isn't any plot again. Yeah. Bollocks. Go on. <laughs> no, that's. Well, I think it's bollocks. Yeah, and I said go on. I mean, I can't remember what happens at the 45-minute mark. What's, what are you referencing? Any plot that happens up to 45 minutes. Well, well, it's the same plot as the first film. That's the point. It's her growing up. Well, we I thought we established that there isn't any plot in the first film apart no, from this. You apart from a, a really badly structured subplot involving drugs, which isn't in this one. No, I'm saying I said in the first film that I think the simplicity of three men having to work this out that is the point of the plot. That's that's so it. that's the plot in the second one. So we're completely undoing the character the character development and starting it. It's enhancing it. You're showing more of a relationship between Sylvia and Peter. You've got the introdu- uh, introduction of Edward. Ooh, Edward. There's some bad acting for you. Yeah, oh God, there is. Yeah, I hate him. But the the ruck comes once you... You know, the point is they're all settled. They're all doing what they do and they've established a family unit, unorthodox as it is, and then you have to 
change it. There has to come the point where that changes and disruption happens. The problem with that is that the change is not like something's happened and we have to deal with it. It's quite... um, it's much more her choice. It, she's choosing to leave them. But hang on, what 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 is the plot? Because basically, what you've just said, Judy, is the plot is there's a beginning, middle, and end. Like, what is the plot? Well, the plot is the setup. The point there is the setup. She wants to get married and have something a bit more stable. It means she's leaving them behind. They win her back. Yeah, and forty five minutes in, there's nothing happening. There's no like real conflict. There's nothing. Mm. They they comment on Mary as the child and like the stability of the situation and then the fact that they've all moved like they've come Sylvia's come from nothing and she's worked her way up and she has got a good career. You you get introduced. Well, to yeah, Edward. she lucked her You've way got into all of the men a, doing very a well. sequel because she got cast in like this one line role in the first film and now she's landed like a lead role. But really, I, don't know. I mean, what we know is she's playing a lead role in a play directed by someone she's having sex with. So we know how she gets her roles. But she... but she's quite she's fairly high profile because of that. She's got her photo on the billboard, like out well outside the um outside the theater. She gets played cast in a play to go to the national. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay, that could be because she's sleeping with him. But the point is, people know her and know of her now. Yeah, but then that doesn't really work because we have all these jokes about Ted Danson being an actor and not very uh, you know stable. But she's an actor as well. And that's her yeah, but income. He's doing he's doing commercials and she's doing theatre. Yeah, commercials pay way better than <laughs> Yeah, theater. I know, but it's depicted as highbrow and lowbrow scrounging for scraps, picking up whatever he'll he can do. Yeah, but that doesn't matter in terms of can I look after this child? No, but it doesn't it's not about who can look after the child now. There's four incomes going into that. It doesn't it's not now about who can look after the child. Like Peter is still an architect, and he's doing really bloody well. Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you guys a question, right? Is the woman in this right, Sylvia? The character's name is. Are we supposed to hate her? Are we supposed to think she's a terrible, selfish person? Well, that's certainly how I came at it. I think we're supposed to think she's selfish. Are, really? Are we? Because she never pays any yeah. kind of repentance for that. Yeah, and the happy ending involves her marrying, getting everything There's she no wants. There's no repentance, but it's the lesson that she has to learn. When does she learn she it? Proved to be the she one. She never has to, to give anything up. Well, it's, that's not the only way to learn a lesson. It's the point is she's depicted as being flawed again, and she's she's having to say, "I need to put myself first. I don't think she is depicted as being flawed. I think the film wants you to think she's a perfectly normal, like not particularly flawed. Person. I don't think we're meant other than to, know, other than she has the wool to be... pulled over her eyes regarding her fiance. I don't think we're meant to be happy with the fact that she chooses to move to England and take Mary with her and leave the men. Only because the fiance's lying to her. But again, they put up very little fight about that when she says she's moving away. They never go. Well, hang on. What? What about it's our okay? Yeah. Baby so they well. they don't challenge it. But how is that not a flaw of the men? Well, it's a flaw of the film, but the the writing of the characters but i but i think we're supposed to just accept that well you know she's a woman she wants to be married obviously that's the most important thing in someone's life so that's obviously the thing that she yep. needs to do yep. it doesn't matter who she gets married to as long as they're uh, yep. very rich and and can help further her career but she but we don't even get this moment where she goes oh do you know what I don't love this guy I don't want to go through with this I'd rather go with Peter because it only comes about after it's thrown in her face that he's been lying to her and get this guys he speaks in a rather t- stern voice to the child he calls her a little shit 
but it's okay because Tom Selleck immediately uses physical violence to uh, undo. But it's his well, words. he uses physical violence because it's been a build up of other. Oh, stuff. and he knows I mean, he's been lying. You can tell that the guy works in the theatre because whoo, that was a theatrical uh, punch, wasn't it? <laughs> Her character arc is never kind of like she learns a lesson. She never learns anything. She gets everything she wants and other people bring it to yeah, her. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's necessarily handled well. I agree. She doesn't have an arc. But but beyond the writing, uh I, I think this film's fucking shit on every level. Um I, I've made a oh, I've written down the qu- her quote, uh, just to emphasize how bad the acting and direction and just generally how it's put together is. Um the stilted delivery where where Tom Selleck attempts to convince Sylvia not to marry Edward. And uh, he says, Sylvia, you can't marry this guy. And she says, why not? And, why not? And, Tell me, no, Peter, no, I want no, to know. No, it goes, why not? And then he goes, because. And he's about to start saying, and she goes, Tell me, Peter, I want to know. He was he was telling you. He said because, and you cut him off. Yeah, I picked up on that before. But I think, I think you can... I, I'd forgive that. I laughed twice while watching this film, out loud. Go on. Uh, Was one of them Ted Danson grabbing a bouquet and looking at the camera like... (laughs) Actually, I I tell a lie, there was three. I laughed out loud at that. I felt like I was laughing at it rather than with it, though, so I didn't count it. I'll be honest, I Uh, gave this film an extra point purely for that ending. (laughs) (laughs) Bear that in mind when I give the rating. What were the other points? I am genuinely intrigued where Alan laughed. one of them. It's got to be Ted Danson as a vicar. Absolutely not. One of them was Sheila Hancock. No. One of them was Fiona Shaw. The two best things in this film. Sheila Hancock, the mother. Yeah. Which bit? Well, she's she's. They pick her up at the airport or whatever, and they go, "Oh, Michael, Peter, oh, Ted, Ted <laughs> Danson can't be here. He's busy." And she goes, "Spreading his seed, no doubt. Seed, no doubt." Because <laughs> <made me> <laughs> it kind of came out of nowhere. It's like, "Oh yeah, she doesn't like him." Fair <laughs> enough. Um, and then cool. the other one. Now I'm not proud of this, but it was <laughs> it was down to it was really down to Fiona Shaw's performance, which I thought she was very good in this. I thought it was oh, a weirdly comic thing that perhaps didn't particularly fit with the rest of the film, but I liked it. Um, and she just awkwardly goes over to uh, what's his name, Tom Selleck, watching a marquee being put up, and she goes, "Not as impressive as your mighty erections, I imagine." <laughs> So you know that made me laugh. That made you laugh. Yeah, it was because of the way she Shame did it. Though it was, yeah. it was just very Judy. well performed, rather than uh, a <laughs> funny line. She's doing the best with what she's got, but I mean, I, I've seen Fiona Shaw in stuff, and she's very good, and she's not good here. Uh, no one comes out of this film. She is well. good here. She's, not, she, this, she's just. Tr- she comes. She's doing well. one. Her character is one a, weak a joke that's stretched out for about forty minutes, and then immediately like. Brush it's not aside. One weak joke. It's not. All right, it's one hilarious joke. It... <laughs> no, she plays it really well all the way. It's through, one like, weak you know... joke. She fancies him. She thinks he's gonna make a move. He's not even like aware that she's okay. Into it. And I think she manages to find freshness with yeah. that each time. Look, I agree. You know, yeah, I agree. There's the erections line. There's the seek the auspicious moment and tell her the bit where she kind of lingers and gives him a look. There's the we are creatures of the night Yeah, moment. I hated all of them. And then what a gentleman. Damn it. Like, she, she just plays it really well. And then the, when he gets in the car and he's like, you're a very attractive woman. She's like, oh, I know. You know, it, she, she does a really fucking fantastic work. Really fantastic job with a small character who is comic relief 
I think I think she does really well. I think Fiona Shaw's fantastic she's, as an actress. Do, yeah, so do I as an actress. Um, she's doing and in this role. Um, I mean, she's doing very good work with what she's given. Yeah. Yeah, I think she makes it work. Like, I think it is a, quite a weak setup, and it, it's definitely handled badly when he just brushes her aside. But it is, uh, yeah, she makes it work. I don't think she does. Considering, like you said, so it is one gimmick, she keeps it fresh and she keeps it engaging all the way through. I think it's stale out the box. Write a letter to McVitie's and say, give me some vouchers because I bought this and it's gone off, it's mouldy. And they'd go, well, it's got Fiona Shaw in it. And they go, yeah, look, I appreciate she's doing the best she could with the but ingredients. But hang on, so why are you saying that's stale? I don't... Why are you using that weird metaphor? Because it's not funny. Because I've seen this shit done a thousand times before. Shakespeare was doing this shit, and it wasn't funny back then either. It's I beg to differ. He's become one of the most famous playwrights in the world. Well, yeah, but not because he's funny. <laughs> yes, because he's funny. No. Nope. <laughs> I, I, I'll be honest, I felt bad. I felt bad watching this because she's better than this. and um... I don't think she is. I think this is exactly I think her. She is level. exactly this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly her. <laughs> yeah, she's so, very good. She's a very good actor. She's capable of much better than this shit. I um, think the characters in general are much, much better handled by the actors and presumably the writer and director. They have much more of their personalities now. Yeah, Ted Danson's now the master of disguise. And they, like, <laughs> they properly lean into that. And it's like, okay, I mean, fair enough. That's his thing, is it? Fine. Well, he's, yeah, they've made a gimmick of him being the actor, yeah, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, that well, at was, least they're making something. That's about. what I mean. That was better than the first one. Interestingly, uh, guys, in in the French film, that character is not an actor. He is an air hostess, and uh, oh, he cool. goes off like three weeks, uh, you know, on on some long long distance uh, long, long haul flight stuff. <laughs> so that's why he's away. But I, I found it interesting that like they decided to change that. Obviously, Ted Danson couldn't handle the range of. I think they chose actor because it was 1987 and everyone in America would be like, what, is he meant to be gay? What? Yeah, that's what I thought as well. You can't have him be an air hostess because it makes him seem gay, even though the whole point of the character is that he's sleeping with loads of women. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so talking about his disguises, he obviously, it's all setting up his... Um, well, I mean, the shittest Dick Van Dyke I've ever seen, basically. At the end of the film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jack is the vicar. <laughs> Dick Van Dyke? No, Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> I mean, I am, of course, referring to Dick Van Dyke's portrayal of an old man in Mary Poppins. Um, Have you seen Mary Poppins Returns, where he plays an old man? Yeah, it's I thought it was pretty good. Convincing. He's genuinely just him. It's not a bad British accent, to give him credit. Well, obviously, Nancy Travis is doing that Daphne out of Fraser British accent. Oh, she does a really good British accent, though. It's a very specific Nancy British Travis. accent, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's fucking awful. You seen Jack? Uh, I think he went out with Cassie. Damn. He promised he'd rehearse this scene with me. I've got to do it in class tomorrow. Well, you know, Jack, he probably forgot. Yeah. I'll do it with you. You? Yeah, sure, why not? Like, it's a sp- yeah, okay, it's a specific kind of British accent, but I think she does it bloody well. If she's not British, is she American? But that's that's like it, it, her British accent. Her British accent is like if I got cast as like a normal guy in an American film who lives in like New York or something. Just you know, let's say like a struggling writer in New York, and it's that kind of quirky rom com. But I had to be American, and then I went there and I was like, "Well, gee whiz, Emma Stone, I let, this is sure nice to meet you." No, gee no, no, golly no, gosh. 
What my point is, her accent doesn't come across yes, it like does. that. I think it comes across as oh hello, yes, I'm from England, and that's not what she sounds is, like. Oh, that's what Edward oh, sounds like. Oh my gosh! So you t- you're telling me my baby survived after I left it on your doorstep? Oh well, that is bloody good news. She's awful. I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's an authentic British accent of a sort, but her performance well, is stilted. That's as... exactly what I'm saying. It's an authentic British yeah, accent. Yeah, of a very specific sort that very few people actually talk like, yeah, okay, and her so... performance is too stilted doing it to overcome it. She can't act in that accent. Oh, no, come on. You're being too harsh with her. What about the bit where... What about the bit where she says, Peter, all I wanted was a little help from you and instead all I got was a hearty helping of your bruised ego. Like, Peter, all of that bit, she emotes. All I got was she a hearty... Well. Okay. That's not how it goes. It's not how it goes. It's not. Right, can you drop in a, a sound clip uh. in this bit, please? <laughs> oh, my ears... There you go. That's me reacting. That's me reacting to that clip. Uh, as we all know, Judy, you're, you probably know this very well, that theatre directors earn a lot I of do. money and they live in country oh. mansions. So, What did you think of the comic relief Barrow, the um, the butler? Yeah, weak. You know, you know, comic relief isn't really a phrase that you're meant to apply to a comedy, right? <laughs> do you think the emotional story with the, the two of them like kind of falling in love and not being able to... Do you think that would have worked better if there was any connection between them at all <laughs> any kind of emotional resonance to what they're doing or even between her and the director guy like any believable emotional traits between any of them that would help us tell the story of people falling in love do you think, do you think that would help i think it could do with a bit more I'm not gonna lie i do think it could do with a bit more in this film but i think i mean the way it plays really is there's like one scene between the two of them and then Tom Selleck, yeah, the and then Tom scene. Selleck falls in love with her, and it's all the way it plays is like he thinks, "Oh, we've never spent any time with each other before, so I can't believe I've just fallen in love with her." I guess I would have fallen in love with her earlier, but um, we've never really met. That's how it plays. No, 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 it doesn't. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't come across like they don't know each other. Mm, kind of does. It kind of comes across like two actors auditioning to be in this film. I do think. I do think it's important that he has that talk with Ted Danson, you know, three quarters of the way through when he's like, "You fuck my wife." You know, we ma- <laughs> no, we made you the father. Come <laughs> on, sorry, Judy, carry on. So yeah, so yeah, Ted Danson sits him down and says, "Look, I know I banged the first, but you can have a sloppy second if you want." As if they haven't all been shagging all the time, anyway. I have realised, actually, we haven't done a plot breakdown of the second one. Well, there isn't a plot. <sighs> Come along. Well, go on, then. More go of a plot then. in this one than the first one. No, 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 Alan, like, go on, you did the plot of the first they're one. They're all living together, they're, ra- they're raising this child together, all very happy. Uh, the woman decides that she wants to fuck them off. Uh, and doesn't care about all the time and effort and presumably money they've put into no, the child. On. So she takes the child away from them. They just accept this. They have to do a, like a dash to the airport and, and stop her from leaving and declare That's love. the first one! Oh, yeah, sorry, dash to the wedding chapel because that's different. So what happens is before she doesn't just decide to uproot she the does. kid. She says that she wants more. No, she says she wants more from her future. She wants to get married. She wants to have more no, children. She doesn't say she wants more from her future. She says she wants to get married. That's the important thing. She needs to be married. And then she says to Edward, have another one, maybe even a dozen. 
she says she wants more kids. Oh yeah, brilliant! More kids for her to leave on someone's doorstep. But we've, yeah, we've already established that you don't have to be married to have kids. She knows that better than anyone. But the point is, she's talking about she wants something more from her future. She then starts looking for kind of a way to make that happen. The men start looking for candidates for her. She ends up giving Edward a chance finally, who's a guy that's been perving on her at work. It doesn't. He's obviously not a guy to be trusted. We're not meant to like him. He's English. She goes to England to be with him, takes the kid with her, and then when they go over when Peter and all the others go over to kind of try and support her and make amends and try and make things rosy again, they realise that he's a a shitbag, so they uncover it, and then Sylvia and Peter get together as they were always meant to be. I have a question um, about, at the end, there's this bit where, because Ted Danson pretended to be the vicar to, like, buy time. So, so although he marries them, it doesn't count, because he's not licensed. Yeah, ordained. Um, and so that's a big twist where where the husband-to-be, the fiancé, Edward, sort of goes, well, it may be very true that you don't want to marry me, but uh, ha-ha, you're already married to me. So so he, he behaves like a fucking James Bond villain. He behaves like he's portrayed yeah. by um, John Malkovich. And it's like, well, what, what's, what's his... Is she that much of a fucking prize chicken? That he's that, like... Excited well, I about think at that point he's just being petty got... and wants to piss her off, you know. Yeah, she got say, money. He's being petty. Oh, great! Now we'll have to begin divorce proceedings. I don't think it's him kind of going, "Mwahaha, you're stuck with me." I think, like Alan says, it's kind of, "Yeah, well, this is a bit, you know, distasteful, darling." Like, come on, we've I think just he got possibly married. is. He's I think it's, it's read pettiness. her character very well and knows that she's fickle and would probably go back with him five minutes later uh, if he says the right thing. Yeah, she probably believes in like some sort of sanctity of marriage to the point that she'd be like, "Oh, we are married." Oh well. Yeah, I guess well, I'm stuck with him so for I'm now. Gonna stick with it. Well, in she the, does. She does in say the eyes of She God, says, "Oh God, must, he's uh, right." Yeah, yeah. To make this work. Do you know? Do you want to know the note I made at this point? Go uh, on. Right, I'm going to read this out verbatim. Uh, if Tom Selleck and Nancy marry right here, right now, after he confesses his love for her, then Judy's banned from the show. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> The film was made in 1990, before I was even born, and you've brought me in deliberately to talk about this film this week. I think that's fair, though. (laughs) Right, Alan, next time you extend an invitation to me and assume I'm doing it, I am not. So he messaged me and was like, so are you doing this thing then? It was like, well, ask me. He's like, I did. I was like, no, you didn't. You just stated. You said, oh, I think Judy will do it. And then at one point I said to it, Judy went to the extent of going to another country and doing another podcast to to force me to admit that I wanted it on the podcast. Mm. Judy, um... oh, can I just have? Can I put that down as a record that you've just put something on recording that said roughly I wanted her on the podcast, which is enough for me. I will take that inch. <laughs> um, Alan, uh, Alan said, "Oh, I've I've made my pick." for my next choice of uh, episode. I, I, Judy really likes these films, so um, I think we'll do that so she we can do a film for her. And I went, okay. And then a bit later, I was like, oh, have you um, have you, conf- have you spoken about dates with uh, Judy when we can record or anything? And he was like, oh, yeah, she shows up for it. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if he's not... Um... Well, he I got a message from Alan saying, like, we're going to do this film. And I was like, oh, awesome. Yeah, I've been telling you to for ages. And then there was like a big silence. He didn't reply for a while. And then it was... Are you doing it then? <laughs> and it wasn't like a, will you do it? It was a, well, go on. Then. I just like, I, I, like it was the most obvious thing. It's just how you talk to me. Oh, you mean like Jurassic Park? <laughs> that's different. 
they're like good films. They're films. It in my they're good films that we would do anyway. Notes. You know, I'm reading Jurassic Park at the moment. Yeah. Oh, good. Me too. I'm rereading it. Which one are you on? The, the Jurassic Park. Oh, the second one's good as well. Mm. Well, if there's anything like what the do you film, think of the book? Um, I'm really enjoying it so far. It's good. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I like. I like the bit at the start where a baby gets killed. <laughs> This film. If this film, oh, okay. if this film uh, series began like with a little dinosaur ripping a baby's face off, I'd be well into it. It's a giraffe. <laughs> um, what do you what, what do you think of the kid playing like <sighs> the acting? I as mean, a child? that's just sh- typical shit child actor. Not a good one. Not one that particularly impresses you at all. I don't think she comes across as a particularly bad one. I don't think she's the strongest, but I didn't. She didn't irritate me. Yeah, mm. she's just the as an actor. Friend. As far as props go, it's quite a good one. I mean, how old? How old do you think the actress is in this 28? film? Oh, <laughs> pillock! Like the little the kid. <laughs> I don't. Why? Why? Why are you saying this? I I I think she's about six months. <laughs> what? I don't get it. You guys, <laughs> fuck's sake! No. Why is this funny? And why are you laughing at yourselves? <laughs> You spent too much time doing duo recordings. That's what's happened here. Uh, I mean, it's funnier than this film, Judy. Come on. She doesn't strike me. She, I don't think she can be older than six. No. Yeah, that's what I said. Six months. No, <laughs> that's, but, that but is not older than six, I think she does six, really Judy. well for I've a six-year-old. If she's... <laughs> uh, she was born in 1984, so she would have been six, maybe five when it was filmed. Even. Well, there you go. Now... I don't think she does a particularly bad job. I mean, how old was Mara Wilson when she was in Matilda? Oh, 28. Fuck's sake, don't say six months again, Sol. Do you reckon we can get Mara Wilson on this podcast? Yes. Nah. <laughs> nah, we'll do nah she's leaving. The, she's left her acting past behind her. Well, yeah, but she's very um, active online with her twittering and her writing. and She wrote an article about being a child star for crack.com or something. Well, Five crazy things you never know about being a child star. Meth? Is it that they give you meth all the time? They used to. That's why, um, what's the name on Wizard of Oz? That's why Judy Garland was all coked up. Presumably also why that little person, Munchkin, Munchkin. Ha- like hangs himself in the background of that shot. Right, I'm going to have to look this up because this is, I don't know if this is as a solism or if this is a genuine... It's thing. a genuine urban or if legend. Or this is yeah. another, this is a genuine version of soul talking about did you know as well did you know when they made the wizard of oz they made it so that if you start it with the audio of dark side of the moon playing it syncs up so if you want to get stoned i'm not i'm not gonna lie i'm not gonna try that did you know that coca-cola invented father christmas (laughs) (laughs) he was green he was green before that and they made him red that's true i think it's not true like i said i just think it's a better put together film frankly it's not a good film it's all very trite still, know, but it's better than the original. Do you know that dust is 90% dead skin? Uh, so I gave it a six. This is the worst film I've seen from the year 1990. And do keep in mind that Troll 2 came out in the year 1990. <laughs> Basically, right, I, I struggle to find the time to watch. There's so much stuff I want to watch. <laughs> and I barely have enough time to do anything as it is. So I really, I really resent it when I feel like I'm watching something that isn't accomplishing something. If it's not like ticking a, a best picture nominee off a list, like right, I've seen that now, or oh, that's one of IMDb's top two fifty, or maybe just something I might enjoy on a personal level. I just, it, I really hate it, and I mean, I 
Well, now you know how I feel every week on this fucking podcast. <laughs> I I loathed this film. I genuinely cannot remember the last time I've hated a film that we've covered what? on this podcast as much as this. It might be Resident Evil. I despised this film. Um, I I give it two out of ten, and and do remember Jealous. what I said that one of those points is for Ted Danson grabbing the bouquet and kind of gurning at the camera at the end. <laughs> It is a, it's one of the worst films I've ever seen. <laughs> See, I think that's I'm... very harsh. This is a very by-the-numbers bland film, but to, to take such exception to it is... Um... I think you're being deliberately bland. I'm not. G- genuinely, this film was devoid of humour. I think it's ridiculous that you give Mamma Mia a five, you give The Room a one, and this is one step up from The Room. Well, I, I, I think, think it's ridiculous outrageous. that you give The Iron Giant a four and Three Men in a baby at uh, seven so it is possible for people to have different opinions interesting <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, honestly god like when i say this is one of the worst films i've ever seen right i'm not i i genuinely mean that but i am talking in a very broad sense like bottom hundred you know i'm not saying it's like i'm not like alan where i go it's going straight on my worst five films ever Liz. <laughs> Bottom hundred. I think it's interesting, so because I would say that there's, this is a quite a bland film, but the fact that you take such sort of ag- aggressive I mean. kind yeah. of hate to so it, yeah, about because it. it's interesting. I'm, 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 I'm interested as that, to that, what I hate that blandness is. because because at least if something's bad, it's usually because it's taken a swing and a miss. And this film, it, this film it aspires doesn't try. towards. It doesn't try to yeah, do anything. It yeah, is. It is. It's just lazy. I don't see how you see it as any different from Mamma Mia 2. Because Mamma Mia 2... No, Mamma Mia 2 was trying to do something. It did it badly. It's it's offensive that people have been given millions of dollars to make art and this is what they choose to do with it. It's it's just but it's like just hire hire one funny writer to put some jokes in the film for fuck's sake. I hated it. I hated it. A very visceral reaction. You know, there there was a third film knocking around for a while. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Three Men and the Bride. Yeah, I keep talking about it, threatening it. Yeah. Uh, also, I didn't rate it. Oh yeah, okay. what what'd you give it? Eight. Oh my god. Jesus Christ. Uh, Three Men and a Bride, though. What would you make of that? I'd watch it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it would make me sad to see Tom Selleck and Ted Danson and Steve Gutenberg, who, I won't lie, I thought was dead. I found out this <laughs> evening he's not. Um... <laughs> I, I'd I'd be very sad to see them being them. Really? I wish they'd made it in like 2000. Ted Danson's yeah. looking better than he ever did. Throughout these films, I was a bit annoyed because I wanted him to be old man Ted Danson. Yeah, good point. Tom Selleck isn't though. I've not seen Tom Selleck Ted recently. Danson would... Tom Ted Danson could maybe get away with it. Steve Gutenberg potentially get away with it. Tom Selleck just isn't... Known. Steve Gutenberg might look great. No one's seen him for 30 years. Well, I, I Google imaged him earlier. Hey, I think Tom Selleck's looking all right. I've just Googled him, 2019, he's looking alright. Yeah, but I don't think he'd come across as Peter. I think he'd be like, oh, it's old Tom Selleck. Whereas I think Ted Danson could still play Jack, you know, in terms of refilling the character's shoes. Three Men and a Bride's kind of the obvious way to do a sequel, isn't it? It's probably what I do, is just pick up with them now. Um, I do do take issue with the title, because... Three Men and a Little Lady is a title that bends over backwards to sound a little bit like Three Men and a Baby. So I think it should be like Three Men and a... They've already done Lady. Uh, three Men and a Baby... Baby... Saby... 
Rabies. Three men and a rabies. It's a zombie movie. We fixed it. There you go. Three men and a... Three men and Hades. Oh, a rabies. Three men and a baby's baby. And they have to, like, look after the grandkid. That would be the obvious way to go three with men it. Is she gets herself... Three men and a baby's all. baby. Yeah. Three men and the lady's baby. <laughs> Bit of a mouthful, but... It's like a Dr. Soy. I still think three Dr. men and a bride. But... I think uh, you go gender swap. That's the way you go with it. Three three women and a baby. It's a new new take on it. Yeah, I mean, it would be fine. It's just I know it would fall into exactly the same oh, I mean, that's terrible a, comedy that I'm not enjoying. That is the exactly the sort of thing that would be getting made right now. And exa- like I said, Kristen Wiig and Melissa nah, McCarthy, you just know. Nah, it. Kristen Wiig's better generation. Yeah. Tiffany Haydish. Mindy Kaling. Mindy Kaling would be one of them. Who? Yeah, Who? Mindy Who Kaling, Tiffany Haydish, and... Uh, Myla Kunis. Aubrey Plaza, there you go. That's, <laughs> That's a good one, actually. She'd be the Steve Gutenberg. And who would be the baby? Danny DeVito. <laughs> ew, 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 no. <laughs> uh, come back next week for for something more upbeat, hopefully. What are we doing, Alan? What, yeah, are, what you are you doing next week? You're going to like it, though, listeners. You're going to like it. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Judy. There you go. You'll have to come back and do a good film next time. <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah.